Those two lines from a wonderful hymn, the text by the great 17th century English poet John Milton, let us with a gladsome, a joyful mind praise the Lord, for he is kind, for his mercies I endure, ever faithful, ever sure. I was tempted uh, this morning just to leave those those lines as a sufficient commentary uh, and exegetical interpretation of the uh, gospel reading this morning. I perhaps could read it one more time and then sit down and we could uh, continue with our, our morning, but uh, I resisted that temptation. Perhaps uh, you'll decide that that wasn't a good idea, but we'll let John Milton hang over, over us this morning the kindness of God, his mercies endure forever. Now, it has really been uh, wonderful for me, uh, for all of us to be here in Nashville uh, this week, uh, as I and uh, quite a number of other folks uh, have been gathering for a conference here at St. George's, the Evangelical Fellowship of the Anglican Communion here in the United States. Uh, We've enjoyed, this is my first time to be in Nashville. Uh, uh, my wife Susie and I went to the Grand Ole Opry on Friday night, so we could got, got our souvenirs so we can prove we've had the full Nashville experience. And, uh, uh, and we had a great meeting during the week with our, our, our gathering, uh, clergy and laity from around the uh, diverse Anglican world of North America and even a few from abroad. Uh, and, and I would want to say just on behalf of all of us who were a part of that conference, and we had, I mean, we had an excellent program, we had wonderful speakers, uh, lots of opportunities for fellowship, and all of that was covered and, and really made possible uh, by the generous hospitality of the people of St. George's. Uh, your clergy and your staff were, were so wonderful to be working with us, and we'll, I know, always think of this uh, uh, this is one of the greatest of our conferences, and I know that's true because by the time we ended Friday afternoon, uh, we were talking about how we hope we could come back here again soon uh, to, to enjoy it again because it worked out so well. And now, Sunday morning at St. George's, for me, what a, a treat and what a privilege. Your reputation precedes you. Uh, it just in, in so many ways, I, I mean, first of all, I'll, I'll say that, that I've heard a lot about you from friends like Lee Spruill, who uh, I began to work back in the early part of the, the, the century there, in the early 2000s. Uh, he and I were both involved as colleagues in what was then called the Communion Partner Rectors Group, and we uh, got to know each other uh, various places around the church. And, uh, uh, also had great friendship with Richard Q, and more recently with Caroline Osborne and her husband, who went to seminary up in Pittsburgh. And so uh, it's been, been uh, great to follow at a distance the life of St. George's Church, which I know is right now poised to begin a great 
new chapter of gospel life and ministry. I know that Jesus Christ, uh, uh, who raised from the dead and ruling on high, that he is the center of life of this church. And uh, just so, such an honor to be invited to, to uh, uh, be with you today, to worship with you, and to have this invitation to preach. Uh, Colin said beforehand I could say a little bit about myself. I hesitate to do that, but I'll just say I'm an old retired priest from the Diocese of Pittsburgh. At the end of 2019, I retired after about 26 years as rector of St. Andrew's Church in that city. Uh, uh, had an opportunity to uh, almost immediately upon my retirement to be assigned to a, a tiny uh, but wonderful little church on the north side of Pittsburgh and part-time ministry, and so that has been my occupation through the COVID era, as uh, sometimes 15 or 20 of us gather in this little neighborhood church on Sunday morning. It's, it's uh, a great privilege always to be a part of that. And again, it is such a great privilege to be here. To be here, I'll say, on Father's Day, uh, my 40-year-old son and 37-year-old daughter took, took me out to a baseball game uh, on the uh, 5th of June, so we had an early Father's Day celebration. I wish that you all will have great Father's Day observances as well. Would you pray with me? Let us with a gladsome mind praise the Lord, for He is kind. His mercies I endure, ever faithful, ever sure. Almighty God, guide me as I preach this morning, and Fill our hearts, open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts, all of us together as we gather under your word. And we pray always through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. So I'm always looking for kind of a banner or a, a, an, a, an anchor to uh, uh, talk about about. Uh, uh, parts of Scripture, and whenever I turn to St. Luke's Gospel, or I'm going to say even St. Luke's Gospel and the companion piece, the work of Acts, uh, there's a certain feeling that, that uh, seems to drive the unfolding of, of this great part of the New Testament, St. Luke's great contribution to, to the Word of God. And uh, as I've been reading through uh, Luke 8, in preparation for this morning, uh, a phrase came to mind which, which uh, uh, has been very helpful to me, and the phrase is five words, Jesus is on the move. Jesus is on the move. Uh, now, uh, there's a little bit of a Father's Day memory for me, I guess, but when, when our kids were young, uh, 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 my wife Susie and I uh, uh, had some fun with them reading through the uh, C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. Perhaps that's, that's a, a series of novels that you might be familiar with. You might remember the story, it's the middle of World War II and the Pevenzi children live in London, but they've come out into the country to stay at a great old country house for greater safety during the time of the London Blitz. And um, in their exploration of this old house, they find a wardrobe, kind of an old wooden clothing closet in a, in a back room of the house. And at the back of that wardrobe, there is a mysterious portal, a passageway uh, through which they, they uh, enter uh, the, the magical land of Narnia. 
Um, and uh, they, they come into this, this strange and amazing world, uh, and they come, but they come into this world at a time uh, which is very difficult for the magical world of Narnia because it's a time uh, when the whole land has fallen under the, the, the control, the spell of an evil white witch, she's called that. And, uh, uh, under her rule, under her misrule of this land, uh, Narnia has been plunged into a deep freeze. Uh, all the, the good and beautiful things about Narnia are as good as dead. They're under a deep blanket of, of snow and ice. Uh, Lewis says it's a place where it's always winter but never Christmas. And in, in that uh, place, the, there is great fear and anxiety and a sense of doom. But then, the leaping forward in the novel, uh, a good ways, uh, uh, a long-anticipated event uh, begins to unfold. And good news, I've been talking about the word good news this morning in some other ways, the good news begins to be uh, abroad that an, a, the appointed time has come and the true and rightful king of Narnia, the great and good lion king Aslan, uh, is returning, is returning to Narnia to reclaim his throne. And uh, his uh, victory procession is coming towards towards the land, and as, as it does so, the, the frozen landscape all around begins to thaw, uh, warmth returns, uh, the clouds part, and light once again bathes the land, and, and everywhere where things had been as good as dead, life returns, and spring is upon them, and the good news is past. It's all of this for this moment. The good news is passed, first quietly in whispers, and then more loudly, and then finally proclaimed from the rooftops. Aslan, Aslan is on the move. He's coming. Let us with a gladsome mind praise the Lord, for, for He is kind. His mercies I endure, ever faithful ever sure. Well, there's a lot more to the uh, Narnia story, but all of that is just to tweak our imagination a little bit to, to capture something of the feeling that might, might come here in the eighth chapter of St. Luke's Gospel. Um, after the infancy stories at the beginning of the Gospel, uh, Luke tells us about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan and about His temptation in the wilderness. Uh, then uh, uh, Jesus returns from uh, uh, the land of Judah, from Judea, and, and uh, comes to the Galilee, His home area, and calls the first of His disciples together. And then um, that's, that happens as we are led up to chapter 8, verse 1. You'll notice we started our reading this morning at chapter 8, verse 26, and I just want to touch on a little bit about what comes before that. In just one verse here, chapter 8, verse 1, Luke says, soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through the cities and villages. This is part of the Galilee there. He went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. 
just want to listen to those two words again. He went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the news of the kingdom of God. Now, I, I know you've known some great preachers here at St. George's over the years. We've all known some great preachers and teachers. But Luke wants to tell us right from the beginning that we have never met a preacher like Jesus because he didn't just proclaim the good news. He brought it. It came with him. The good news of the kingdom of God arrived in the flesh in the Galilee not just words, but something new really happening in people's lives. Where, wherever Jesus went, there was healing, there was cleansing, there was clarifying. Whomever He met, new light and new life and warmth began to emerge. Winter everywhere moved on into spring because Jesus was on the move. The world was a different place because he was there. So uh, Jesus is on the move, and uh, we're about to read a, a great story about part of that. Uh, I, and I just want to, to, to tell us it's really the lesson appointed for today is the second half of a larger frame. And just to uh, set the table for uh, the story of this, this exorcism and healing and transformation that happens, um, in chapter 8, verse 22, again, just now right before verse 26 that we begin with in our lesson today, Luke says, one day Jesus got into a boat with His disciples, and He said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Uh, now, uh, that, I don't know what uh, we would think about that just initially. Uh, Jesus is moving on. He's on the move. And now He says, let's get in a boat. We've done enough walking, and let's sail over to the other side of the lake. Uh, but it's helpful to know just a little bit about what Jesus is saying to His disciples here, because the Galilee uh, in those years of the first century was a very mixed area, ethnically and culturally. To the west, uh, uh, where, where Jesus and His disciples have been ministering up until now uh, is a largely Jewish region, uh, a place that we're very familiar with from the Bible stories, uh, uh, towns like Nazareth and Capernaum and Cana. But on the other side of the lake, uh, sort of to the east and the northeast, uh, is a different kind of place. It's an area that was sometimes called the Decapolis. It's kind of a, a fancy Greek word that translates the ten cities, uh, the, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, it was foreign territory. There were cities like uh, Gerasa. Uh, we have this uh, word today. He's of the Gerasenes. Uh, cities like Gerasa and Gadara. It's a region that stretched from the Sea of Galilee uh, east and north up to what we would today on the map call the Golan Heights and into Syria. Uh, it was a place where very few Jews lived and where there were, uh, it was 
very unusual for Jews even to come and to travel through this area. Uh, now, when Jesus says, uh, let's, let's, uh, uh, get, let's go across to the other side of the lake, uh, this must have been a confusing or at least a little uh, uh, off-putting thing for the disciples to hear. Why would we go there? But they obey him immediately. They set out. And um, if they're at all nervous about what they might find on the other side of the lake, Jesus isn't nervous at all. We know this story. He goes to sleep in the boat. Uh, he, he falls asleep immediately. And then uh, you, you, you and we have seen this story and perhaps seen stained glass windows and illustrations of this many times before. A windstorm came down on the lake. They were filling with water and were in danger. They went and woke Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. It's a great miracle of the natural world. The, the wind and the raging waves cease at the word of Jesus. And, and uh, he then turns and says to the disciples, Where is your faith? And they are afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. So, so that's where they come to land. They've just sailed through this mighty storm. They've just seen Jesus enact uh, uh, this great miracle of command. And they, uh, the, the boat comes and, and, and comes up to the beach on the other side of the lake where our reading begins today as it's printed in your bulletin at verse 26. And right there, right at the shore, standing uh, on the beach, uh, there is this man. I mean, it is as though they had been following, uh, Susie and I have been driving around Nashville a little bit this week, and, and uh, we would have been lost many times except we have a little girl who lives in our telephone. We tell her where we want to go, and she says, turn here, turn there, and unfailingly, she has brought us to our precise destination every time. Jesus, the, the, we must have had a GPS here because we came directly to this man. Uh, he is standing there on the side. Luke tells us he is a man who had demons. He is possessed. Uh, it must have been pretty, pretty uh, uh, strange and frightening, actually, for the disciples as they're, they're in this boat. They've washed up. There's a man standing there naked, uh, out of his mind, uh, doing all kinds of, of gestures, perhaps. He, he is, he is uh, demonstrating uh, this, this uh, spirit possession, which is there. We, we, we are told a little bit about him. Uh, not only is he naked, but he's been living out among the tombs in the land of the dead because he won't stay anywhere near any people around. Uh, he seems to be tormented uh, in, in both spiritual and physical agony. His friends and family have tried to help him. Uh, they, they've tried to restrain him so he won't be a danger to himself or to others. But, but the chains, the shackles are not strong enough. This, this sense of possession is so powerful, he bursts through those chains out of control, beyond anything that anyone can do. Just, the demons were just too strong. And here we are. 
the, the disciples don't even get out of the boat. The boat comes up onto shore, and Jesus steps out, and we have these two men, Jesus and the man possessed, face to face on the beach, a kind of, a kind of dramatic existential drama. We can see that that's set out there. Samuel Beckett could have written the text of this conversation between the two. The demons cry out as Jesus comes near. Uh, it uh, pulls this, this man into, into a, a moment of terror. What, what he, he says to him, and it's so, so fascinating, he says, says uh, uh, what, are you, what, are, what are you to me? What, why have you come to me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? What do you want with me? And we, we ask, well, how did he know who Jesus is? How did he know who Jesus is? Uh, and, 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 and yet we hear that and we think, well, how, how sad. Uh, Jesus has come to him and, and he doesn't believe that Jesus has anything to offer him. He, he only is frightened of Jesus. He's in despair that Jesus has come to him. Why would anyone come to me? Why would you come to me? Jesus. But, but we notice that Luke says that um, even in this first moment, just a few seconds have passed. Uh, a few seconds have passed, and, and uh, uh, Jesus had already, in verse 29, he says, Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. Before the man even uh, spoke for the first time, uh, Jesus was a man on a mission. He was on the move. He crossed the sea. He came through the storm for him. And as soon as that boat uh, uh, came to the shore, as soon as Jesus stood uh, with the man, he commanded the demons to depart. Jesus asks the man for his name, uh, and we, he answers in this strange way. He says his name is Legion. Uh, uh, that's a, a, a word that, that can have a lot of different sort of related meanings, but it is a, uh, in a technical way, it is the word that was commonly used for uh, uh, the Roman army. We heard the Roman legion, uh, the, the army that occupied uh, the, the holy land of God was the Roman legion. And the demonic army that occupied the life of this, of this young man uh, was, gave him the name Legion. And, and as we see in this moment, just as the Holy Land of God uh, is, is, uh, uh, is occupied by those legions of Rome, uh, so uh, that has become who the man is. But, but it turns out not anymore, because in this same moment, uh, uh, Jesus has spoken and the demons have no power at all to resist him. They're desperate. And we have this interesting little exchange uh, when uh, uh, the demons ask to be uh, sent out into the herd of swine. These ritually unclean animals, that's how we know we're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee rather than the west side. You wouldn't have a, a, a herd of swine in the Jewish areas. These ritually unclean animals here in the land of the Gentiles here in the occupation of the, uh, the legion, and uh, all of a sudden the occupying army has been ejected. Uh, 
uh, Jesus claims this territory as his own. Uh, we know that, that wonderful hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. Uh, where Jesus is, Jesus is king. He not only preaches the kingdom of God, he brings it. And the kingdom of God is now on the beach here on the east side of the Galilee. Uh, cleansing and restoring. Uh, someone has said, Jesus is making all things kosher. So the herdsmen who have been working with these animals, they're terrified. They, they rush back to the city, uh, tell what has happened. Others come down. Uh, they, they're all disturbed by uh, what has happened. Uh, they ask Jesus uh, to leave, go back where you came from. We don't want what you're offering here. But what a contrast, what a, what a contrast between that crowd and this young man. Uh, as, as he is found, seated at the feet of Jesus. Uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Uh, I, the image that came to my mind at that moment was the image that we have of Mary of Bethany sitting at Jesus' feet as he uh, uh, teaches in, 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 in the gospel. And, and uh, now a new disciple, Je uh, the, the, the man who was possessed, sitting clothed and in his right mind and, and, and learning from Jesus, uh, drawing from him. He wants to stay with Jesus always. And Jesus gives him a commission. He says, go and tell. Go and tell others what God has done for you. Uh, uh, go and be my witness. Uh, Bishop Tom Wright says that uh, uh, this man, and not St. Paul, should be the first person to be given the title the Apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, because he is declaring now what God has done. He, and he goes out with a full heart, and Luke says he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let us, with a gladsome mind, praise the Lord, for he is kind. Think of the kindness of Jesus. Uh, for his mercies I endure, ever faithful, ever sure. It's a commentary, in a way, for a little parable that Jesus tells. It's recorded in the 18th chapter of St. Matthew, uh, when Jesus says, what do you think? If a, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus crossed the sea. There was no distance uh, that was too great uh, for him to travel. Uh, there was no storm that would slow him down. Jesus came. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's the the, the song that the young man could sing to those of his town. Uh, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you had to find one story in Scripture uh, that 
uh, tells our story. And it speaks to us of the goodness and love and mercy of God. Uh, couldn't it be this story? Uh, isn't it a, a tender moment? Uh, Jesus came for him, and, and Jesus comes for us. Uh, it's what we observe and celebrate in this gathering this morning. Uh, it is the, the truth that is in, in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. So let us with a gladsome mind praise the Lord, for He is kind. His mercies I endure, they last forever, and He is ever faithful, and He is ever sure. Amen.